Hello and welcome. You are listening to the teaching ministry of Coastal Oaks Church in Rockport, Texas. It is our hope that you will be encouraged and that your desire to follow Jesus Christ will be challenged and strengthened as you listen to this podcast. For more information on location, service times, and what to expect on your next visit, go to coastaloakschurch.org. Now, grab your Bible and study along with us as you listen. I invite you to take your Bible, the Word of God, and open to Galatians chapter 1. We'll start in verse 13 this morning. Galatians chapter 1, as we look at the reality of total transformation. Total transformation. Some of the most popular shows on TV now have to do with makeovers. Makeover of a person's uh, wardrobe. Makeover of someone's house. A makeover of their business. That's the big thing. That One of the shows, Extreme Makeover Home Edition. Are you all familiar with that one? They go in and they tear down the home completely and then build a brand new structure to suit the needs of the family. The best part of that show for me, when I watch it, is not the demolition of the house or what they build, but the story behind the family. The reason that they came in to build the home and to do the total renovation and total transformation. This morning, we're going to look at Galatians chapter 1. We're going to look at the story behind the transformation in the life of the Apostle Paul. Paul was an apostle called of God the one who penned this letter to the churches in Galatia. This is his story. Remember we said last week, last couple of weeks, he is defending his position as an apostle with the true gospel, that the gospel is salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. There are people in the church that had infiltrated the churches in Galatia who were saying you need Jesus plus circumcision, Jesus plus following the Mosaic traditions and laws. And Paul is saying, no, that's not true. So he is defending his testimony, defending his gospel. In this section of chapter 1, Paul is trying to show his independence from those who are called the Judaizers, those who are trying to put the law back on Christians. So his, the heart of this message, the theme of this section is, I have the truth that was delivered to me by God and God alone, and it is the true gospel. But as we read this passage this morning and look at Paul's testimony, how God totally transformed him, We're going to make application in our lives today, all right? Chapter 1, verse 13. For you have heard of my former manner of life in Judaism, how I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries among my countrymen, being more extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions. Verse 15. This is one of Paul's long sentences. Now take a breath. But when God, who had set me apart even from my mother's womb and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away to Arabia and returned once more to Damascus. We'll come back and look at that in just a moment. Verse 18. Then three years later, I went up to Jerusalem to become acquainted with Cephas, or Peter, and stayed with him 15 days. But I did not see any other of the apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now in what I'm writing to you, I assure you before God that I am not lying. Paul is just trying to drive the point home to say that this truth that he didn't see or meet with any other apostles, he says, I want you to know this is the truth. Verse 21. 
Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia. I was still unknown by sight to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ, but only they kept hearing. He who once persecuted us is now preaching the faith which he once tried to destroy. Boy, I love that. And they were glorifying God because of me. Let me do a little bit of explanation of what Paul is trying to say to them before we look at our application. Back at verse 13, Paul says, I had a former manner of life in Judaism. I was Jewish. I am Jewish, he's saying to them. And I was steeped in it. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees as he shares his testimony in the book of Acts. Beyond measure, he was out trying to destroy the church of God. Verse 14, he says, I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries. He says he was extremely zealous for the traditions. What Paul is saying is, I had climbed the ladder of Judaism and I was at the top. I was out-Jewing the rest of the Jews, basically. I was being better than anybody could be. In fact, Paul is saying that because the people that were attacking his gospel were claiming to really be the, the true Jews, the ones who were really the ones following the tradi traditions. Paul says, man, I've got that covered. Been there, done that, got the t-shirt. That's Kevin's paraphrase. It's in there somewhere, I think. Look at verse 15. But when God, I just love it. Whenever you see those three letters, but, you know there's a change. And boy, what a change. Paul says, I was, I was a, a Jew, the best of the Jews. I was persecuting the church. I was extremely zealous to do away with Christianity. He today could be likened to someone in Islam who saw the Christians as the infidels. That's where Paul was. He was trying to wipe out Christians, but God, I love that, when God who set me apart from my mother's womb, Paul says, God called me before I was born. He called me by his grace to reveal his son that I might preach, verse 16, him among the Gentiles. Paul confesses to them that God, before Paul was even born, God knew that he would be the apostle that would take the gospel to those outside of Judaism, which is the churches in Galatia, the people he's preaching to. And in verse 17 all the way through verse 22, Paul is saying, I didn't go to the church leaders to get my stuff. I went to God alone to get my stuff. He spent years in Arabia, the three years, some have speculated what happened during those three years in Arabia after his conversion. Some say that he was preaching there. I happen to think he was just being alone with God because he came back and he began to preach the gospel clearly. With, a, with an insight that no other apostle had. Some say that Paul spent those three years in Arabia because God wanted to make up for the three years he didn't have that the other apostles had while they were walking with Jesus. I don't know, that's pretty good, sounds pretty good to me. But he is saying, the message I have, we talked about last week, the source I have is from God and God alone, and I'm delivering it to you right now. Well, let's make application to our lives. Are you ready? Number one, yes, pastor, we're ready. We have our outline in hand. We have our pen ready to write. I hope you haven't filled in the blanks yet. Number one, application for us today, a, a truth. Every conversion experience does not have to be the same. But everyone needs to experience conversion. As you look at Paul's story, 
As you read what Paul went through, and if we could go to the book of Acts if we had time, we would read how he was on the road to Damascus, on his way to persecute Christians, and there was a bright light, and God stopped him and said, Saul, Saul, which was his name before he came to Christ, why are you persecuting me? Why are you doing this? And he confessed Christ there and became a follower of Christ. We could say, what, a, what an incredible testimony. And then for God to lift him up and take him and send him off in Arabia and spend years alone with the Lord. For God to do that, we say, man, that's an incredible testimony. Everybody doesn't have that testimony, all right? But everyone needs a testimony. You don't have to have the chill bumps, goose bumps, saw bright lights, flashing, falling down on the ground experience that someone like Paul had. But you need to know that you've had the experience with Christ. I watched a video this week, and I wanted to bring it this morning, but it was too long, and I couldn't figure out how to get it edited down. But it's an incredible video testimony of a man who was raised in Islam. His name is Afshin. And Afshin grew up in, in his family. He was given the responsibility by the father, the patriarch, to carry Islam throughout the generations of the family. And he shares in his testimony how he'd been given supernatural powers by Allah. And he was imprisoned in Malaysia and, and felt a call by Allah to go in and take the, the message of the Quran to those people in prison. And while he was in his prison cell, he had visitations of different, um, he just says people would come to him and, and give him power. And he meditated in the Quran and he said there were places where he would meditate more and more and more. And, and Allah would give him more power to pronounce curses on people. And he got to a point in that time of trying to share Islam that he felt oppressed. He shares how it was like a presence in the cell was choking him. He didn't know what to do, and something inside of him said to cry out to Jesus. And folks, this is a Muslim who is never to call on anyone other than Allah, and he called out to Jesus, and his testimony goes on to share how in that prison cell he felt someone touch his shoulder and say, you're forgiven. He said it's impossible because in Islam you can't know forgiveness until you're on the other side. Even Muhammad doesn't know if he's forgiven until it happens in the judgment. No one knows. It's impossible to know. But he felt the presence of God in that cell. And he felt the forgiveness of God and he shares his testimony. And this is what he says, I'll paraphrase again in the video. He says, it's, this testimony is my testimony. It's not to be your testimony. This is for me. He said, but I share it to tell you, you need to know the God that I met through that testimony. So can I say this to you, just like Afshin would say, your testimony may not match up with someone else's, how it happened, the circumstances, the people, the events. You may not have walked an aisle. Have you all hear that one? I walked an aisle. You may not have been baptized by the preacher. You may not have been in a church service. It may have been you all by yourself, all alone in your car, or in the field, or working, or sitting on a tractor. But that moment where you open your heart to Christ, that's the moment you received him. That's your testimony. So you need to understand this. You, can't, you don't need to compare, and you shouldn't compare yourself with another brother or sister in Christ. Well, you know, it didn't happen to me like it happened to them. The Bible doesn't say anything about that. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be, fill in the blank, church, saved. It doesn't say if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart, and have a prison cell experience. Or hear some, or feel someone tap you on the shoulder, or see a vision, or see light. 
or if you fall down. The Bible just says it's a heart issue. Believe in your heart. Confess with your mouth. Everyone may not have the same experience, but everyone needs to have an experience. Peter wrote it this way in 1 Peter chapter 3. Be ready always to give an answer to the hope that is within you with fear and trembling. Are you ready to give an answer? I wonder if if we just stopped the service and said, everyone, before you walk out the door, you have to share your testimony. Man, you're already looking at that door over there, aren't you? (laughs) Pastor, where's the door? Which one? Let me out. You have a story. may not be like Paul's, but you need to know that you have a story. Number two, second truth. Our personal story that we sometimes call our personal testimony, our personal story should minimize us and maximize Christ. Our personal story should minimize us and maximize Christ. Look at verse 13. Well, actually, we could go all the way back to verse 10, but, but if you will just let your eyes zero in on the, on the one-letter word, I, that's good. Let your eyes zero in on I. Look at how many times Paul says I in 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. I, 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 I. Verse 13, I used to persecute them. Verse 14, I was advancing Judaism. Uh, He talks about being zealous. He was personally zealous. All the I, 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 I. Paul is saying before Christ, this is what I did. This is who I was. This is how I acted. But look at verse 15. But when God, who had set me apart, called me. If you read the rest, 15 and 16, it's about what God did. God called me set me apart he was pleased it was through his grace he revealed his son it's about what God has done Paul tells his story not to say look at Paul and wow what a guy or look at Paul or Saul and wow what a sinner we glorify those don't we in our churches let's get a really bad sinner up here because man that'll really be a good testimony Let him tell about all the bad, terrible, wicked things he's done. And that'll bring people to Christ. It's not about how good you used to be or how bad you used to be. It's not all about you. Let your testimony bring glory to him. I grow weary of those testimonies. Well, it's all about the person, where it's all about the person. Where it's like a marketing campaign. Let me show you what God's done for me. And it kind of, by implication as well, I guess he hadn't done that for me, so something's not right. Your personal story of how you came to Christ and what he's doing in your life today should minimize you and maximize the Savior. This choir wants me to tell you every Sunday morning, when you applaud, you're not applauding them. They, Pastor, tell them again, tell them again, tell them again. I said I said that last week. Tell them again. <laughs> this choir wants you to know that it is not about them. It is about the Lord. It is, that applause is saying, yay, God. That's what Paul was saying. He said before Christ, it was was what I had done, my agenda, my life. But now it's different. Your story should minimize you, maximize Christ. I think about John the Baptist. He said, I must decrease. He must increase. I love the story about the turtle who had this great idea to, to go to Florida for the winter. And he hooked up with a couple of geese. 
and said to them, I've got this plan. If, if you will take a rope in your beak and you take a rope in your beak, I'll clamp on in the middle and you can fly me to Florida. So it, they took off and this turtle's hang. It, it's a made-up story, by the way, okay? Yeah. Some of y'all are going, whoa! Whoa! So the, the turtle's going and, and they're flying and they were kind of off the ground a little bit and it was going great until somebody looked up and said, what a cool idea. Who thought of that? The turtle said, I did. Some of you are just now getting it. <laughs> some, some people look at our lives and we tell them our story and we inadvertently open our mouths like the turtle and said, yeah, I did that. And it's spiritual suicide because you take the glory to yourself when you say, Look at what I did. Let your story minimize you and maximize Christ. Number three, third truth, third application, a commitment to Christ requires complete commitment. A commitment to Christ requires complete commitment. Now, pastor, that's a no-brainer, isn't it? Some of you are saying, duh, but I need to say it. Because there is a misunderstood theology, whatever you want to call it, that a commitment to Christ is an easy thing. Where you pray a prayer and you say, Lord Jesus, I love you. Come into my heart. Save me. Take me to heaven. Amen. And everything's fine. When we preach a gospel like that that leaves out conviction of sin, repentance, holy life we miss the point a commitment to Christ requires a complete commitment look at verse 23 this is what the churches in Galatia kept hearing he who once persecuted us is now preaching the faith which he once tried to destroy one scholar said Paul had a complete reordering of his life I love that when you got saved when you prayed that prayer to receive Christ as your personal Savior and invited him in your life, did he reorder your life? Or did he just change a few things? Did he just change maybe your Sunday morning habits instead of sleeping in or fishing, you came to church? Or did he reorder your life? Folks, there is a clear example in the life of Paul. Not the way it happened, but that it happened. He reordered his life when he came to Christ. I want you to listen to John Stott's words of describing verse 23. He who once persecuted the church is, is now one who preaches the faith. Stott said this, Such was the state of Saul of Tarsus before his conversion. He was a bigot and a fanatic, wholehearted in his devotion to Judaism and in his persecution of Christ and his church. Now, a man in that mental and emotional state is in no mood to change his mind or even to have it changed for him. No psychological device could convert a man in that state. Only God could reach him. And God did. I love that. So you look at a guy like Saul, 
Paul, who is so committed where he, he, the way he was going, the only one who can change a life like that is God. Not some slick campaign, not some kind of marketing, not some smooth thing we put together, a study that's all about us, but only God can get to that heart. Only God can get to a, a Muslim like Afshin who is committed to Islam. Only God can do that. And when God does, it becomes a complete reordering of the life. If you look at your life, and all you did was go through the motions, pray in a prayer, walk in an aisle, join in a church, being baptized, but your life did not change, I plead with you. I plead with you. Pray this prayer. God, if what happened to me that day wasn't genuine, because I don't see any change in my life, don't let me rest until I settle it. I've been there. I've prayed that prayer. I've looked at my life, and after having walked an island in a church and becoming a church member, I didn't see any difference in my life. And I said, God, something's not right. Don't let me rest until I know that I know that I've trusted you and not gone through the motions. And God would not leave me alone until he got me to that point like Paul in verse 23, where I once lived this way and I came to faith in him so that I began to see a life of obedience. A commitment to Christ requires complete commitment. Listen, incomplete obedience is disobedience. Changing what you do on Sunday morning or maybe changing how you dress or maybe even changing the way you talk is not conversion. Conversion is something that takes place on the inside, transformation, complete, total commitment. I have a cartoon where a, it's a couple of guys in church and someone comes up to the pastor and says it's so-and-so on the phone. They want to know if they can audit your discipleship class on total commitment. Some of you have signed on to audit the Christian life. Can I just kind of be sort of there? Can I just sort of, part of my life, be yielded to God and keep the rest to myself? No. That's a pretty straight answer, isn't it? Number four. Christ wants to use our life experiences for his glory. Christ wants to use our life experiences for his glory. Look at verse 24. Speaking of the churches in Galatia who heard about Paul's changed life and they were glorifying God because of me. God said, I'm going to take this scoundrel, this person, persecutor of the church, Saul, and I'm going to so change his life that I'm going to use him for the glory of God. What about you? Is God using your life? If you're a follower of Christ, a believer, is he using your life for his glory? Your life experiences. Not so it can be all about you, but you can see how God orchestrated those things to be used for his glory. When they hear about me, whoever they are, and whatever they hear, I pray that whatever it is, God would get the glory. We don't ever want this to be about Coastal Oaks or Pastor Kevin or anybody else. 
We want it to be about Jesus. God will use those life experiences for his glory. Have you had a total transformation? I found a website this week. Well, I found several of them. Phony heroes. I read a story from a Boston TV station about a man named Mark Manozzi. He was a former state trooper in uh, the Boston area in Massachusetts. He shared a uniform with all kinds of ribbons and several purple hearts and all kinds of medals of honor. He was telling people he was a Vietnam War hero, that he'd made hundreds of jumps behind enemy lines. And the, the, the TV station did an investigation, said he was never in uh, Southeast Asia. He sat at a desk in Hawaii for his military career. And he got a less than honorable, uh, had less than honorable military career. Yet he was pretending to be this phony hero. And they asked him why, and he wouldn't respond to that. He had a purple hearts. He had his purple heart license plate. I read in that on those websites about men who pretend to have gone and been war heroes so they can get special VA benefits. These people fabricate a story to make themselves acceptable. And everybody in this room would say, that's wrong. You know what happens to some of us? We fabricate a story. We put together some things that may look good, so it may sound like we're going to go to heaven, when in reality, it's phony. I've said it before and I'll say it again. Have you had a total transformation? If not, you need to know that you know that you've met the living Christ on his terms. He's changed your life. Pray together.